This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, you know, a phrase that I've heard over and over again in conversation after conversation over these past couple of weeks goes something like this. It's just not working. Like, what's not working? Like, nothing's working, is it? Nothing's working, and everything is broken. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's discouraging. It's exhausting. And see, throughout the last 18 months of this pandemic, I think we've been doing the best that we can at treating the symptoms that we see on the surface, aren't we? We're we're treating the symptoms that uh, that we see on the surface, but we're neglecting the underlying causes. It's kind of like an athlete who, who, who gets hurt in the game, and at halftime, they, they'll take a cortisone shot in the leg, right? And that cortisone shot, it doesn't heal their injury, but it allows them to get back into the second half, doesn't it? It, it just temporarily distracts them from the pain. But over time, the injuries, they take their toll on their body. And eventually, the athlete, he comes to the realization, like, my body's just not working anymore. That's the awakening that, I, that I'm hearing taking place in our conversations over these past few weeks. This realization that our, our lives, the way that we're living our lives, it's not working anymore. Right? The wear and the tear of, of the last 18 months has taken its toll on us. It, it's taken its toll on us physically. We're, we're not eating right. We're on a first-name basis with the McDonald's drive through people. We're not sleeping well. It's taken a toll on us emotionally. Like everything's heavy, isn't it? Everything's heavy. Every month feels like a yet another thing. Yesterday was heavy, wasn't it? It's taken a toll on us mentally. We're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking critically. All we're doing is being critical of each other. It's taken a toll on us relationally. And we're short on empathy and the stress of everything. It's, it's straining our friendships. It's separating families. It's taken a toll on us spiritually as God sounds increasingly more silent and he feels more increasingly distant from us. There's no aspect of of our being as humans that the pandemic has not impacted in some way and the effects are compounding. And there's an increasing awareness of how just how interconnected the spheres of our being truly are. And while we're not quite sure how to, how to put all of this into words, what we know for certain is that it's just not working, is it? It's not working anymore. And, and our natural desire, our inclination is to revert back to the familiar, isn't it? To revert back to life before the pandemic. And I think that's exactly how God's people felt some 2,500 years ago after they returned from exile in Babylon. Things weren't going the way that they hoped. They were discouraged. They were frustrated. And they began to realize, like, this just isn't working anymore. And it's to those people in that condition that God spoke to through his prophet Haggai, basically saying, guys, you're going the wrong way. He's saying the way forward is not found by going backward. Because, see, God... God's not in the business of reverting creation to some former version of itself, is it? No, God's in the business of renewing creation. 
And he wants to do the same in our lives. And that's what we're going to see over these next four weeks in our series called Renew. Because each summer, for those of you that might not know, each summer uh, we go through one of the 12 Old Testament minor prophets, those forgotten books at the end of the Old Testament right before Matthew that, if we're honest, we're not even sure that they're actually in there. We're like, Haggai, that's a, is that a book of the Bible? We, we preach an apocrypha today? What are we doing here, Pastor Ash? No, it's in there. It's in there. And, uh, and also, I mentioned that we do this each summer, and I had someone point out, it's September! Like, I don't know about y'all, but we got like 10 days of summer left, okay? We started, Pastor Rob said, no, it's okay, we're starting it in summer. We won't finish it in summer, uh, but thank God for fall coming up, amen? It's the beginning of the best time in Chicago. We got football today. Uh, I'm seeing that most of you got the notification that the Bears kick off today, and uh, we got this beautiful fall weather, but we also got this incredible prophet named Haggai. And so over the course of these four oracles that he gives us in this series, we're going to hear God calling out to his people. We're going to hear God calling out to us to renew, to renew our priorities, to renew our expectations, to renew our faithfulness, and to renew our hope. And so let's do this. Everybody grab your Bible. Hold your Bible up for me, will you? Everybody grab your Bible. Or if you're looking at it on your phone, just hold up your phone. That's okay, too. Okay, so take out your Bible, and let's turn in the Old Testament to the book of Haggai, right before Matthew, and just hear me say this right now. If you don't know where it's at, there is no shame in turning to the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. They put it there for a reason. Haggai's probably only but about a couple pages. It's two chapters, 38 verses. But Haggai chapter 1, we're going to look at the first of the four oracles this morning in a sermon called Renewing Our Priorities, right? Renewing Our Priorities priorities. What we're going to see God do is two things. Number one, he's going to confront our misplaced priorities. And then number two, he's going to call us to renew our priorities, to realign them. And then I'm going to close by asking you guys a question. And so number one, I want you to write this down. God confronts his people's misplaced priorities. He's going to confront our misplaced priorities through this. And he begins in here in verse one, giving us a, a background, giving us the, the setting, the, the when, the what, the who, and the to whom. Look down here with me. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Serubabel the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. He first starts by giving us the when. He says it's in the second year of the reign of, uh, of Darius the great, the king of Persia. Here's a, here's a great example of where study of sources outside of the Bible actually help us better understand what's in the Bible. And so thanks to other ancient Near Eastern texts, thanks to lunar calendars, they actually enable us to give a very precise dating of this oracle, and it takes place on August 29th, 520 BC. No, that will not be on the quiz at the end of the sermon. August 29th, 520 BC. But you notice there's something unique about the way they dated this, unlike the historical book. So if you're reading through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, everything's dated in terms, uh, in relation to the kings of Judah and Israel, isn't it? But not here. It's dated in reference to a pagan king. That's because Israel had no king that they could reference it to. See, this, this book, it is written, it takes place after the fall of both kingdoms, after the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom of, of Judah to the Babylonians. It takes place after the fall of Babylon at the hands of the, of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and the destruction of the temple. It takes place after the fall of Babylon to the Persian king Cyrus in 539 B.C. 
And it it takes place after the first wave of some 50,000 Jewish exiles return to the land of Palestine in the city of Jerusalem. It takes place after they rebuilt the altar and began to work on the temple. And and these exiles, they, they returned home hoping to go back hoping to return and go back to the old days, back to the good days, back to the the glory days, back to the way things were. And so in the sixth month of Elul, the time of the harvest of the grapes and the figs, on the first day of the month, uh, this was a a day of celebration, of worship and rejoicing, of of sounding trumpets, God calls in Numbers 10, of offering special burnt offerings, as he calls in Numbers 28. And on this day, the word of the Lord, that's the what, came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, that's the who. So what do we know about this prophet named Haggai? Well, we know two pretty important things about him. Number one, we know he's a prophet. Number two, we know his name is Haggai. That's it. We really don't know anything else. Uh, Ezra gives him a couple of name drops, but that's really about it. And so I think that might be part of why he's a minor prophet, not a celebrity prophet. Uh, He's not hanging with Isaiah and Jeremiah and the big guys. But while this book bears the name of Haggai, the book's not about him, is it? No, the book's not about Haggai. The book's about God. The book is about who God is. The book is about what God has said to his people. And what God said, first, he spoke to his leaders. He spoke to Zerubbabel, the Persian-appointed governor of Judah, the civic leader of the people the son of Sheatel, the grandson of Jehoiakim, the, the last king of Judah before the exile, his grandson, and Joshua, the high priest, the religious leader of the people, the son of Jehozadak, who was actually the high priest at the time of the exile. And so like already, like we know more about these two guys than we do about Haggai, don't we? We don't know Haggai's mom. We don't know his dad. We really don't know anything about him. Before the festivities were to begin that day, on the first day of the month, what we see is Haggai, he, he pulls these two leaders, he pulls the religious and the civic leader aside, and through Haggai, God, he confronts his leaders in verse 2. And thus says the Lord of hosts, he says, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Notice God didn't say my people, he said these people. That's like when your mom says, do you, or when your wife says, do you know what your kids just got done doing? Kind of what he's saying here. He's confronting them. He's confronting their misplaced priorities, specifically their delaying of rebuilding the temple. This temple, this massive structure built by Solomon, it had been decimated and destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And the temple... Was, was where God's glory and his presence dwelt among his people in a special way. It, it's where they came to meet with God, where they worshiped God, where they offered sacrifices to God. And, and so the rebuilding of this temple, it was symbolic for, for God's return, his presence among his people. And, and if we flip to the book of Ezra, chapter 3, we see that when this, this first wave of exiles returned, they, they rebuilt the altar. And they actually began work on rebuilding the temple. And King Cyrus, the Persian king, he'd he'd given them money. It was like they didn't have any money, so dad gave them some allowance money. And he gave them money to rebuild. And so they went, and they, they went to Lebanon, and they bought cedars, these massive cedar logs to rebuild the temple, just as Solomon had. 
But then we flip to Ezra 4 and we see that the pagan people who had settled in Palestine, they, uh, they weren't too happy about this. They kind of threw a little fit, if you will, and they put a stop to the project. They wrote to the Persian king. They ratted these people out. They basically uh, treated them as traitors, and the king ceased the project. These people, as God refers to them, they, they kind of hit the snooze button on the rebuild project, didn't they? They hit snooze on the rebuild project, and they went about doing other things. And like, we love our snooze button, don't we? And while we may snooze 15, 20, 30, 60, 90, pretty soon the sun's going down and you're still hitting snooze, while we may hit snooze for a few minutes in the morning, these people had hit snooze for 16 long years. And each time they pushed the snooze button, they pushed God further and further away. But God, he didn't only confront his leaders. What we see is God also, he confronted his people. And so Haggai and Zerubbabel and Joshua, they, they leave this little meeting, if you will, and they, they head to the center of town to this monthly celebration that would have been uh, beginning to take place, a celebration of trumpets, uh, burnt offerings. But I got to imagine that this year, this month, this day was nothing like the celebrations in the days of Solomon, was it? It would have been nothing like what we saw in 1 Kings 8 at the, uh, at the opening, the, the opening celebration of the temple. Kind of like uh, prior to the pandemic, um, Frontier Days, that's Arlington Heights uh, 4th of July celebration. Our, uh, Frontier Days is like the best in the Northwest Burbs, amen? Some of you are like, no, it's Mount Prospect. No, it's Des Plaines. No, it's Palatine. We get protective of our pizza and we get protective of our festivals, don't we? Yeah. Well, anyway, Frontier Days, it was awesome. Everyone was there. It was this huge event. There was a parade that went on for like eight hours in the scorching heat. There's a, there's a carnival, which means there's funnel cakes. And then the best part is each night, your favorite washed-up 90s band takes a break from the casino circuit, and they play at Rec Park, and it's awesome. We live close enough. We don't even have to go. We can hear it from our backyard. It's great. This year, though, wasn't so great. This year, Frontier Days was lifeless. It was like they were just going through the motions. And that's kind of how I imagine this celebration that afternoon in Jerusalem. They stood there at this rebuilt altar. They stood among the, the rubble of this decimated temple. There was no joy. There was no vibrancy. There was no life. There was no celebration. There was no worship. There was just apathy. They were just going through the motions. And so God, he confronts his people in verses three and four, and he says, it says the word of the Lord, he came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, and he says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? God's like, explain it to me. Explain to me why you say you don't have any time for me, but man, you got plenty of time for yourself. It's like growing up, your parents ever confront you about not getting your homework done? I didn't have time to get my homework done, Mom. There's like, well, you had time to go to basketball practice after school. You had time to go out for dinner with your friends. You had time to play video games with your friends. You had time to stay out late with your friends. You, but you didn't have time to get your homework done? Hmm. I hate it when she ended with the, hmm. That was the worst part. 
Man, God, he's like, let, let, let the record show as you stand here right now, my house lies in ruins, but your paneled houses, they're all decked out, aren't they? They're all decked out to the nines. It's a phrase here, these paneled houses, it's a phrase that we see in Scripture used to describe the interior of Solomon's palace that he had built. And his points that they, they hadn't just built little shacks to stay in. No, they had built relatively excessive, elaborate, comfortable homes. See, these people, they had lots of excuses. But what God's saying is, you had plenty of time. You had 16 years to build this thing. It didn't take that long for Solomon to build his first one. You had plenty of resources. I told Cyrus to give you the money to do it. What'd you do with your allowance money? You bought baseball cards, didn't you? Yeah, you got the skills, right? You, you did a fine job building all your homes. You just couldn't build my home. They had nothing left over for God. And we begin to see here a phrase that we've talked about all summer. And it's that we pursue what we prioritize, don't we? We pursue what we prioritize. And what we see is that when you prioritize one thing, you naturally have to deprioritize everything else, don't you? Not everything can be priority one. I don't care if you call it 1A, 1B, 1C. 1A gets the top, 1B's next. When you say yes to one thing, you are inherently saying no to something else, aren't you? And what these people had done is they had allowed their discouragement, they had allowed their, their disappointment to distract them from what mattered most. It drew their attentions and their affections away from God. It drew them downward. It drew them inward, pursuing their own interest, right? They allowed their situation to skew their priorities and distract their pursuit of God. And I think that's what's been happening to us for the last 18 months. But here's the thing, that drift that drift is ever so slow that you almost don't even notice it. You don't notice it until one day God comes and he confronts you and he asks you that same question. He says, you say you don't have time for me. You say the time has not yet come to uh, rebuild your relationship with me. The time has not yet come to return and to worship me. Yet, I don't need Instagram to know you got time to do all these other things, God says. And he's saying, meanwhile, your relationship with me, the most, what should be the most important thing in this world, in your life, like my house, it lies in ruins. And I know you feel it. And as hard as that might be to hear when God finally wakes you up to that, that's the awakening that I'm starting to sense in our hearts, that I'm hearing in our conversation, this realization that's taking place that, that, you know what, I've not prioritized my faith. You know what, I've not prioritized my relationship with God. I've not prioritized my walk with Jesus. And, and when that realization takes place, I think the natural question is, so what do I do? Well, thankfully, the sermon's not over. He gives us a bit more, doesn't he? God, he goes on, number two, God calls his people to renew their priorities. You probably knew that's what this point was going to be, given the title of the sermon, didn't you? God calls us to renew our priorities, and I love this. Uh, God gives us a three-step plan, doesn't he? It, it comes in threes. He's calling us to reflect, he's calling us to repent, and he's calling us to respond. And so first, what we see is God, he's calling us in this moment to reflect. He says in verse five, now therefore, right? What's the therefore, therefore? 
Well, it's a, as a result of, of what I just got done saying, as a result of this realization, this awakening that's occurring, thus says the Lord of hosts. And he, what does he say? He says, consider your ways. He, he's calling us to reflection before action, isn't he? And reflection is kind of a scary word, isn't it? He says in verse 6, he says, you've sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God, he, he's honestly, he's calling us to honestly reflect on our frustrations and our disappointments. To acknowledge our feelings, how we feel in the midst of this. Now, these people here that he's talking to, they... They felt like they'd been working really, really hard. They felt like they'd been working hard, but they never had anything to show for it. They felt like they're just spinning their wheels all the time. They would have just harvested their grain three months ago, and he says they harvested little. And they felt like there was just never enough. They were never satisfied. They were never filled to the point that the inflation at the time was apparently so brutal that what little they did earn had even less buying power the next day to the point that it, it was like they were putting money in pants with holes in them and dropping it along the way. And God's calling us to reflect, to be honest with ourselves. And I, and I think a, a helpful method for reflection and working out what God's calling us to do here is simply by journaling, by writing things out. And what we see here is simply begin by identifying where you feel like you've sown much, where you feel like you've invested so much time and effort and, and money. And those pursuits that you identify, they're going to reveal what you've actually prioritized in your life. And, and as you do it, write out your frustrations. Write out that list of disappointments. Don't, we're really good at building closets to shove our emotions in, aren't we? We have some mansion-sized closets with feelings and emotions we just choose not to acknowledge. We put it away, we lock it, we build another one, don't we? God's like, don't do that. Acknowledge it, write it out. List your disappointments. Write out where you're, you feel like you are lacking. Write out where it feels like there's never enough. And then reflect on why that is. Why is it you feel like there's never enough? Why is it you feel like you're never satisfied? How, how is it that you think your expectations are never met? God's calling us to begin with a time of reflection. But then second, God goes on and he calls us to repentance. God is calling us to repent. Again, he says in verse 7, he says, Thus says, Lord, consider your ways. But now he calls us to action in verse 8. He says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. No more snooze button. No more snooze. It's time to gather the wood. They had to go get more wood because they probably used up all those cedar logs on their own houses. And it's time to get to work and to build my house. And what he was doing, he's effectively calling them to repentance. And think about what repentance is. Repentance is a turning, isn't it? It is turning from sin and turning to God. It's turning from our self-centered pursuits, building our own homes, focusing on our own lives and turning to God, pursuing those things that God finds pleasing, those things that bring glory to God. 
But see, repentance isn't just a turning of our hands, it's a turning of our hearts. It's not just the rhythms in what we do, but it is the reasons in why we do what we do. And this all kind of starts to begin to tie together that our reflection, it reveals, doesn't it? It reveals how we've drifted from faithfully following the way of Jesus, that we just spent the last part of the year talking about how we've gone our own way, how we've been seeking our own glory, pursuing the things that please us. And so God, he goes on and he, he tells him in verse 9 to 11, he's kind of repeating what he said back in verse 6. He says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much right. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? I'll tell you why. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I have called for a drought on the land, on the hills, and on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and on beast. Guys, Alice is going hungry too, our little puppy dog. And he cursed their labors as well. They expected much, and they experienced little, didn't they? And what little they had, it says, God, he blew it away like dust in the wind. Yeah, I just sung, sorry. But what God's indicating here is their, their sacrifices, their offering, the fruit of their labor, he detested it. We see the same thing. We saw the same thing last year when we looked at Malachi, didn't we? Why is that? It's because of their pursuits. It's because of their priorities. They pursued everything other than God. They didn't move God from first to second. They moved him to last. They almost cut him off the list entirely. And if we go back and look at the Mosaic Law, what we see is that God promised blessings on Israel as long as they lived in faithful obedience to him. But he followed those promises of blessing with promises of curses if they turned from him and lived apart from him. And that's exactly what God was doing. He's like, I told you this is what would happen. But see, they wanted blessings from God without pursuing God, didn't they? And God's like, that's, that's not how this works. And I think we're after the same thing, aren't we? We're after that same shortcut. You know, we want... I think we all want intimacy with God, don't we? Amen? We want intimacy with God. We just don't want to spend time with God. We, um, we want the promises of God. Those sound really good, but without pursuing God, without obedience to God. We want forgiveness from Jesus. Forgiveness sounds great, but without faithfulness to the way of Jesus. We, we want salvation from Jesus as our Savior without having to submit our lives to Jesus as Lord and surrender our life to Jesus as our King. And this reflection, it reveals how we've drifted from the way of Jesus, what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It reveals how we've drifted, and repentance is a return to that way, a return of our priorities to the proper order. And so the third thing we see here is God is calling us to respond. And what we're going to see is God's word did not return empty. He says in verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, all of them obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. 
as the Lord God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Right, their reflection led to repentance. And this reorientation of their heart led to a twofold response. Number one, they obeyed God's word with their hands, didn't they? They obeyed God's word. They carried out God's will by obeying God's word. That's all they did. God said to do something and they did it. But not only that, it also says that they feared God's presence with their hearts, didn't it? And when we see this word fear in Scripture, it's not a cowering fear. It's not like me when I come across a snake, okay? This is a, a reverence. They, they didn't cower in fear. They stood in awe of God because they became increasingly aware of his presence among them. He goes on to say in verse three, 13, declaring, I am with you. I'm with you guys. I'm here. Before I went into ministry, I, I worked for about 17 years at Motorola and Nokia. And in my last few years, I had the privilege of traveling to Europe uh, basically for any meeting I could create or attend. Uh, we, we got pretty good at finding meetings we needed me to be at there at the end. And one of the things that I liked doing was visiting the nearest uh, cathedral when I was in town. I got to go to this uh, massive cathedral in Köln, uh, one after another in, in Munich, uh, Notre Dame in Paris, St. Peter's in Vatican, Westminster Abbey in London, and I didn't pay for any of this on my own. Oh, man, traveling for work it was great back in the day. But here's what I'd do. I, I would come in to the cathedral, and I, I'd find a, a pew kind of in the center of the nave, and I would do the same thing every time. I'd, I'd pull out my Bible out of my backpack, and I would open to St. John's telling of the throne room in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5, one of the, the most beautiful worship services that we see in all of Scripture, right? And what we see there, it says, he said, they, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And I would read those words with Earl's voice in this massive cathedral, and I could hear it rumbling throughout the halls. It was great. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As I read those words of worship in this massive house of worship, you couldn't help but be filled with, with awe and this awareness of God's presence in this space and be reminded that the, the infinite, transcendent God of the heavens who existed before the creation of time is also the intimate, imminent God who is with us. I am with you, declares the Lord. Didn't Jesus promise that very same thing? I will be with you until the end of the age. But here's the thing that I began to realize in coming home. Is that I feel that same sense of awe and awareness of God's presence when I gather to worship with you here in this room. I feel that same sense of presence when I open my Bible and, and, and read God's word and allow him to speak to me in my backyard in the morning, and there's nothing special about my backyard. It doesn't look anything like Notre Dame used to look. And that's because this isn't dependent on a specific place. 
but it is dependent on our pursuit. Pursuing God's presence, prioritizing worshiping God, prioritizing being with God. And what we see here is as they, as they responded in obedience to God's word, pursuing God's presence, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. 23 days later, on September 21st, 520 B.C., after they had harvested what little fig and grape harvest they had, after they had gone and, and gathered wood to replace the wood that they had wasted, after they had cleared the rubble that existed, they began work on rebuilding the temple. But what I love is that it all started with a stir, didn't it? It started with a stirring of the spirit in their hearts, not in one or two or three, but in them all together, collectively as a people. And as a, as a pastor and a preacher, that's both humbling and encouraging. It, it's humbling because it wasn't Haggai's words that stirred their minds, was it? No, it was God's spirit that stirred in their hearts. Haggai was nothing more than a mouthpiece that we know nothing more other than he was Haggai the prophet. And I realized something this week in my reflection and in my repentance is that uh, I've been praying for the wrong thing for us as a church. I've been praying for the wrong thing. I was praying for results. I was praying for a response. I was praying for uh, movement with our hands. But what we see here is we should have been praying for the Spirit to stir in our hearts. And so my prayer began to change with this passage. I'm praying for the Spirit to stir in our hearts. But it's also encouraging because that's exactly what God was already doing. The Spirit is stirring. I hear it in our conversations. I see it in your prayer requests, that, that tension, that, that, uh, that unpacking, that almost like deconstruction of these last 18 months of like something's not right here. That's the Spirit beginning to stir. That's this awakening that's taking place in our hearts. And like Israel, it's time for us to return from exile, isn't it? It's time for us to return. It's time for us to rebuild God's temple. Only what we know is that our temple's not made of brick and mortar, is it? This building isn't a temple. This building's brick and wood. It was a gracious gift from God that we have loved and stewarded well, but this isn't the temple. No, the temple is flesh and blood. We are God's holy temple, amen? Scripture says we are God's holy temple built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the words in this book, and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, that very first stone that is laid, the first priority in building this is Jesus built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. The spirit is dwelling in our midst in this very moment. God is with us. I am with you, declares the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when we gather, God is here? That's what makes this so special. It is us gathering together as the people of God in the presence of God to worship and bring glory to God. That's what this 90-minute time is all about, this two-hour time maybe today. And that's why God is calling us to renew our priorities. 
Because we pursue what we prioritize, and God wants us to pursue him above all else. God's calling us to renew those routines that the pandemic has thrown into a whack, those rhythms that help us faithfully follow the way of Jesus, those those formational spiritual practices and habits that help us grow to be more like Jesus. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. How will you respond? What will you renew? What will you renew today? As your pastor, there's there's nothing I want more than to come alongside you and help you more faithfully follow the way of Jesus. I honestly believe that is in its most clear my job description. I want to help you more faithfully follow the way of Jesus. I want to help you individually. I want to help us collectively and corporately do that. And so I want to share some steps that, um, that we can take together in renewing our pursuit of God and our pursuit of one another by prioritizing our time with God and our time with one another. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask each of you, I'm going to ask each of you to commit to taking at least one step in both categories and prioritizing your time with God and one another. And then at the close of the service, when Pastor Rob comes up and you're filling out that info card, we're going to have these items on the info card. I'm going to ask you to put a checkbox next to each item that you're committed to renewing. And then over the course of the rest of this year, each month for the rest of this year, uh, I'm going to just reach out. I want to ask you how you're doing with that. And I'm going to have the same question for you. And that question is going to be, how can I help? How can I help? We'll do it over the phone. We'll do it over the text. We'll do it in my study. Y'all know how to get a hold of me. If you don't, come find me. How can I help? Because what I want us to know is we we are exiles in this world, aren't we? We are citizens of another kingdom. We are exiles in this world. And we are a family that is on a journey of faithfully following the way of Jesus together. Amen? So here's, here's some ideas to get you going. It's not a complete list. We actually would be here till kickoff if that were the case. But two, two sections here. Number one, I want to help you renew your pursuit of God by prioritizing your time with God. And I got five ideas for you here. Number one, it's to establish a daily rhythm of time with God. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say anything about doing for God. I talked about being with God. I didn't talk about find a reading plan. Pray certain prayers. No, I want you to spend time with God. But the way we spend time with God is in his word, allowing him to speak and through prayer as we share with God, isn't it? Abiding in his presence, allowing God to speak, sharing with God what's on your heart, and sometimes just simply sitting in silence with God. Just hanging out on the couch together. I want to help because I think this daily time with God is the thing that has been most disrupted in our last 18 months, and yet it is, I think, the most foundational of all the spiritual practices is that time with God. Number two, I want to help you establish a weekly rhythm of worshiping God. Be sure if you're taking notes to write weekly, not monthly. Just make sure there. Uh, During the pandemic, it's been... uh, You know, we never streamed before the pandemic, but it's become real convenient to sleep in and and watch church at home, hasn't it? It's become convenient to to watch church from home on your own, on the go, rather than worshiping here with us. But man, what we've talked about time and time again, worship is a verb, not a noun. Worship isn't something you watch, it is something you do and participate in, and it's not something we do alone, it's something we do together, and so what I'm asking you to do is, if you check this box, I'm asking you to commit to attending here with us in person for the next four weeks. 
The last three weeks of our Renew series, and on October 10th, when we're going to have a special uh, sermon about family ministry and child dedications that day. Not just coming monthly, not just coming when you're scheduled to serve, but coming weekly. And not only that, but not allowing the mass to be a barrier to worship, but something that enables us to safely worship. Amen? Daily rhythm with God, weekly rhythm of worshiping God. Number three, establish a regular rhythm of sacrificial giving back to God. Right? God, he's, he's called us to give financially. He's called us to give regularly. He's called us to give sacrificially. And so whatever that next step for you is, maybe if you're not giving, it's to give. Maybe if you're not giving regularly, it's to give regularly. Maybe if you, you're not giving sacrificially, it's to give sacrificially. And what I can tell you is uh, it's never been easier to take that step than with uh, the app that we launched this summer. So maybe that's your step. Or number four, maybe your step is to sign up for baptism or child dedication coming up. Uh, baptism is a public declaration uh, that you are beginning, not at the end, but at the beginning of the journey, that you're beginning to faithfully follow the way of Jesus. And if you've not done that and you are following Jesus, man, I want to invite you to check that box today. And if you got some stage fright, that's okay. We record your testimony, just a couple of us. and You, you actually don't have to say anything up there. Uh, and if you think, yeah, but I started following Jesus like 45 years ago, there's no statute of limitations on baptism. Uh, it's good. We'll have that thing fill it up in a couple of hours and uh, would love to do that. But also, parents, I want to invite you to take part in our child dedication ceremony on, on October 10th. And you know, something that I need you to hear is like no one will have a greater impact on your child's walk with Jesus than you. Not a Sunday school teacher not a youth pastor. It's not the church's responsibility. It is our responsibility as parents, right? It's our responsibility. However, when we do child dedications, we also have a bit for the church, don't we? That it is our responsibility as a church to come alongside and to help the parents. And so I want to invite you to come and make that commitment as parents as we make that commitment to you as your church family. And then number five, uh, maybe you just simply want to deepen your theological knowledge by learning more about God. That's a great pursuit. And I would love to recommend uh, some books for you. I'd love to help you reflect on what it is you're reading. I'd love to listen uh, to what it is that you are learning as you renew your pursuit of God. And so I'm asking you to check at least one of those. But also number two, I want to help you renew your pursuit of one another by prioritizing our time with one another. And we got five ways here. The first is simply to take that next step in making redemption your church home, whatever that might be for you. Right? Making redemption your church home. Our desire is for every follower of Christ to be a committed member of the body of Christ. Not rotating between two or three different churches but committed to one expression of the local church. Whether that is here or whether that is somewhere else, our chief desire is that you be committed and a member of a local church. And here's how you know if this church is your church home. You know if you're a member because we've talked about it, you've signed something, there's a membership covenant. But here's how you know if, if redemption is your church home. If this is the place in which you worship and these are the people that you worship with on a regular basis, welcome, you're part of our crazy family. And I'm really glad you're here. And this is your home. 
And so your next step might be coming to Welcome to Redemption today after service back in the library back there. Your next step might be signing up for what we call This is Redemption on October 3rd, which will take place after service in the training center where we want to help you understand what it means for this to be your church home. Or maybe you've done all that and your next step is, you know what, I I went to This is Redemption like 25 years ago and the church is only uh, 12 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday to us, by the way. Um, But I I think it's time I, I take that step and commit to this being my home and becoming a member. So maybe maybe you need to take that next step. Or number two, maybe you need to uh, join or recommit to a small group. Small groups at Redemption are where we love and care for each other, where we pray for one another. It's where we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so if you're not in a small group, what better time than now to join a small group? Anytime's a great time, to be honest. If you're only kind of in your small group, you're not even sure who your small group leaders are, when they meet or where they meet, now is a great time to recommit to that small group. If you're new, it's a great way to meet others. If you're feeling disconnected, it's a great way to get connected. And hear me, I'm sure there's some of you that are also a little scared of letting others in, aren't you? A little scared of letting others in and seeing behind the curtain and seeing this baggage that you got. Remember these... uh, closets that we talked about building, that we shove stuff in. You're like, I don't know if I'm ready for people to see that yet. I get it. And if I could offer you one piece of encouragement, it's that as a family, we are called to bear one another's burdens, amen? And that's where we do this. We're called to bear one another's burdens, not hide them from each other. And so maybe for you, it's that step of letting someone in and helping them carry that with you. Number three, maybe for you, it's to serve on one of our Sunday morning missional teams. We are a family. We are in this together, and we all have a role to play. And so we ask everyone who calls Redemption your church home, and we just defined if you know if that's you or not, uh, to serve on one of our missional teams, either the welcome team, those people that greet you on Sunday, uh, the utility team who sets up all the signs, uh, the Redemption kids downstairs, our worship team, our production team in the booth. We ask everyone to serve on one of our Sunday morning worship teams that calls Redemption home. Now a little asterisk next to that that we got to talk about real quick. Um, Some of you just got here. Like some of you, this is your first Sunday here. Uh, Some of you have come from a place of hurt and exhaustion. And we've talked about this privately. I just want to say it again from the pulpit as well, that um, I simply want to provide a safe place for you to heal and time for you to rest. We good with that? You know if that's you. But man, if this is your home, and you've been here for a while, you've begun to plant roots here, man, we need you. We can't do this without you. Number four is to serve in our family ministry events. And you're like, what's this? This is new. Well, I'd also like to invite you to come to our family ministry fall kickoff on September 22nd, where we're going to share more about this with you. Uh, Pastor Rob and Tim and myself, we're going to be uh, sharing a bit more with with, with parents. And uh, family ministry, just to kind of give you a working definition, it's about our church family ministering to and caring for the families in our church. And so each month over the course of this next year, we've got events planned for our families to come together, for parents and children together to grow to be more like Jesus. And one of the things, parents, you're going to see starting today, you're going to get a little slip of paper called Continuing the Conversation. And Pastor Rob's worked on some ways that you can take what we've talked about this morning downstairs and continue that conversation with your children. Uh, Because I think it, it can be scary to be told, no one has a greater impact on my child's walk with Jesus than me. I don't even know if I'm following Jesus right. One, get a child's Bible and read it. That thing's great. Get the Jesus Storybook Bible. It'll help you see God's 
redemptive story in one sitting. But second, uh, this is a tool to equip you in your walk with Jesus, with your children, and pointing them to Jesus, continuing the conversation. Number five, last one here, host a meetup. You might remember last year, about February, uh, right before that thing called the pandemic hit, we, we were focused on hospitality. Remember that? We did a series called Welcome. And one of the things we were going to do was called meetups. And the idea behind meetups was, let's meet up to do the things we already enjoy doing, but let's do them together. You want to go see a movie? Great. Invite others to go see the movie with you. Uh, that didn't work too well last March, April, May, though, did it? Talk about poor planning and timing. And so we kept thinking, you know, now's not the time, now's not the time. And then God says, so now's not the time, huh? And uh, we're like, you know what, no, yeah, now's a good time. Now's a good time. We, we, we got to get back to living again, living safely, but living again. And so we're going to start meetups. And uh, if you're wondering what a meetup is, think of this. We get asked a lot of times, hey, could the church be willing to host this event that I'm really excited about? And the answer is, you could host this event that you're really excited about. And we want to equip you and enable you to do that. And so anyone can host a meetup, including any of you. Uh, there's a new page at the bottom of our app where you can uh, fill out a form for that. Maybe you want to have your own Oktoberfest. I would come to that. Uh, you want to have a fire in your backyard, have people over? How about a trip to Gobert's or Royal Oaks? Or uh, maybe movie night or game night or Saturday brunch? Just don't do Sunday brunch at 10 a.m. We're coming here. Anyone can host it. Raise your hand if you're anyone. Okay, if you raised your hand, you're able to host a meetup. Anyone can attend the meetup. All you got to do is go back to that same page in the app and you'll see them and you can sign up for them. Some of them will have limited capacity, so make sure you sign up. And like, hear me, by no means is this list complete. By no means are these the only lists. There are vocational rhythms we need to renew with work and with school. There are relational rhythms that, that have really gotten wonky with friends and family that we might not be speaking to right now. There are physical rhythms of rest, that daily rhythm of rest, of eating well and exercising, right? Because, because nothing's compartmentalized. Everything is interconnected. And when we are not healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and spiritually, it feels like nothing's working because nothing's working. It's not working the way God intended for it to work. And so as your pastor, again, I just want to come alongside and I want to help us be healthier. I want to help you be healthier. I want to help us as a church be healthier. I want to help you and us more faithfully follow the way of Jesus, growing to be more and more like Jesus. And we're going to do that by renewing our pursuit of God and of one another, by renewing our priorities and prioritizing our time with God and one another. And I want to help you take that next step this morning. Because the way forward is not found by going backward. God's not reverting creation. He's renewing it. He's not going to take us back to life before the pandemic. He's going to lead us through to something new. Amen? I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. Because that narrow gate that leads to the way of Jesus that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't lead us back to the garden. No, it leads us to a city, to the new Jerusalem. And so again, I ask, what will you renew? What step are you going to take today in renewing your pursuit of God 
and one another. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.